0: Welcome to Influencer Business, where influencers get help with the hard stuff. Think of us as your business bible. We're a team of influencers and entrepreneurs dedicated to bringing professional resources and infrastructure to our community. I'm Rich Gudelari, CEO of Trove. I'm an entrepreneur focused on helping influencers run and grow their businesses with the resources and information they need. I host this podcast as well as a live webinar called Office Hours, which takes place every Wednesday. Here, I dig deeper into each weekly topic and answer all of your most pressing questions. Our weekly podcast features guests from across the professional landscape, sharing their experiences and advice, and answering questions from the Trove community, which you can submit on our website at www.trovebusiness.com. Welcome back to Influencer Business. So excited to have you here with us for the start of season two. Season one was awesome. A lot of great interviews, a lot of great feedback, and continuing on now in season two. And the first interview we have lined up for you is awesome. It is Justin Livingston, one of the OG influencers. He's been around for a long time, actually been working on his blog for over 10 years now was doing it before influencer was even a term and has has some amazing insight into not only industry, but how to build a legacy. So it's a really interesting conversation. Um, very excited to have you with us here today. But before we jump into the interview, a quick plug from us here at Trove. If you've been following us since we started, or if you're just getting introduced to the podcast now, please head over, give us that five-star rating and leave us a glowing review. It always helps. It helps us grow the podcast and we'd really appreciate it. But without any further ado, I'd like to welcome Justin Livingston to the podcast. Justin, thanks so much for joining us today on Influencer Business. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you're going to be our guinea pig. We're introducing a new piece of the podcast to kind of intro you to our audience. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, we'll talk about a lot of things today, but first we're going to ask you five quick questions. So our audience can get to know you a little bit okay let's do it okay so first question is what's the last tv show you binged
1: um, unbelievable on Netflix, and it is incredibly unbelievable. So, you should is absolutely it, watch it. Yeah. It's relatively new, right? It is. It came out last week. Last week. And you already through yeah, it. I do not. I mean, I might as well just be like the face of Netflix because <laughs> I binge every single show that they <laughs>
0: release. Yeah. Are you a fan of the Netflix originals? Is that, are those your go to or is it um, anything and everything?
1: Uh, well, <laughs> sometimes yeah, I'll watch them all. I'm mildly disappointed by most of them because oh, okay. it's just like kind of, I feel like they're just putting money behind like kind of trash. <laughs> scripts, but but you'll still watch them. Yeah, but I'll still watch them. Yeah. Okay. Got it. <laughs> it gives me something to do. Nice. All right. What is the last book you read, cover to cover? Um, I can't remember who wrote it, but it's called Essays on Everything. And oh. it is like a satirical view on a lot of current topics. Mm-hmm. So, you know climate change and um legalizing drug use and Mm -hmm. i think the guy's name is mark it was really 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 good i love like humorous essays yeah okay interesting essays on everything does it make you think absolutely yeah that's awesome love it all right What was the last meal you cooked you know i got an air fryer on amazon prime day did you really yeah and i didn't really know what an air fryer was but i'm telling you guys it is awesome (laughs) it's not what you think it's not like frying in oil um but it was prosciutto-wrapped turkey breast. Oh, that
0: sounds delicious. Do you cook a lot in general? I do, yeah. Oh, okay. I came from a,
1: like, cooking family. Okay, nice. Well, see, in New
0: York City, you can get all sorts of some people who cook, some people
1: who have never cooked. I mean, it's easy to not cook here because there are some of the best restaurants in the world here, so, and then (laughs) some of the best takeouts. Yeah, (laughs) right. I'm, like, acting like I go to the good restaurants. I mean, let's be honest.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. All right, what is the last concert you
1: went to? I would say I went to see, I go to concerts all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I'm actually seeing one tomorrow. Okay, we'll go with that one. Yeah, I'm seeing Sigrid, this uh, Norwegian. Awesome. Where is she playing? Uh, Webster Hall. Okay. Yeah, she's amazing.
0: That's awesome. All right, final question. Last city outside of New York that you visited, and what were you doing there?
1: I went to Mexico City. Nice. And I was doing something with W Hotels.
0: All right. That, those are the five quick questions. We're going to dive easy. into it now. Because you actually, you've been in the kind of influencer world for, world for a while. Actually, before influencer was yeah. even in kind of the common lexicon of today. 100%. Um, and certainly before it was a career path. Tell us a little bit about
1: how you got to this point, how you got even to New York City. Um, well, the short story about how I got to New York was that it was always going to be exactly where I wanted to be. But I had dreamed of living in New York my entire life. I had never visited. I just knew that's where I wanted to live. and ended up moving here a year after I started college. I kind of gave up on college and moved here mm-hmm. and ended up finishing college here, but I um knew I just wanted to live here. So did you going... have a plan when you moved? No,
0: no plan. You're just no. like I'm picking up and moving. Yep.
1: Wow. That I is just bold. got fed up with the lack of opportunity where I was at. like Where I was were you at that, that at, time? Um, I was at Ole Miss Ole in Miss? Mississippi. Yeah. Okay. And so I grew up in Mississippi, but a lot of what I did was around Memphis, Tennessee, so I kind of divided my time between Tennessee and Mississippi. Yeah. And as amazing and wonderful as those places are, my dreams were a lot bigger than the pond I was living in, so sure. I yeah. um, knew I had to go to the biggest pond I could find, which was New York City. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Well, and you didn't show up and say, all right, I'm going to be an influencer. What did you show up? What, no, you, what was your all. first move? Um, I was like, I'll take any job I can get. <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up actually, like, I really lucked out because I... um through an, a teacher of mine at school, at uh, in college, she submitted some of my art stuff to oh, amazing. a creative director, who then submitted my stuff to someone else, and I ended up getting a job with Teen Vogue and working in the art department. And that's not awesome. what I really wanted to do, but sure. it was a job, and it was a job that was a massive foot in the door for my for what I did want to do. Yeah. And at I that up, time, what did you time, want to do? I wanted to work in magazines and. I've always considered myself a writer. I like keep a journal. I love to write, mm-hmm. and I actually started my blog probably ten years ago, twelve years ago, like pretty much when I first moved to New York. Interesting. And it was just a way for me. That was like when blogs were first kind of coming to the scene. I was, like, oh, this is such a cool way. I don't have to physically write down things. Sure. So my blog originally started as sort of a daily journal, a replacement of the written word that I was already doing, anyways. Uh-huh. And then, you know, family and friends would end up being like, oh, like, how's New York? Like, what are you doing? And so I was like, well, maybe I'll like do a couple of little entries of here's a typical weekend in my New York life and um, very early blog content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. But it ended up being something that I didn't realize would take off. Mm -hmm. I would share it on my Facebook where I had, I don't know, a hundred friends or something. (laughs) And I guess people would. You know share it with their friends or something, and I remember someone asking me about Google Analytics, and I didn't even know what that was, yeah. and so I was like, oh well, maybe I'll like set it up and see mm-hmm. and i re- I still remember the day that it like loaded up and it said I had a thousand viewers and I was like, w- I don't even know a thousand <laughs> people." <laughs> And I was like, oh, I think I think there's like a virus on my blog. I just like, I didn't, I was like, did not believe that a thousand people read it. Right, right. And um, over the next probably four or five years, increasingly I kind of cultivated and fostered the blog a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And then it really took off and <laughs> right. that surprised me. And uh-huh. it was a snowball effect of I was in at the right time. I've always been a fan of fashion and mm-hmm it would come to where I bought myself a really nice camera with a bonus I got from work once. Mm-hmm. I would take pictures and post them up and someone would say, oh wait, what was that jacket you were wearing in the photo? And I'm like, oh, wait, um, I don't know which one. Yeah. So I ended up tagging brands which I didn't even know was something people did. I would just Mm -hmm. like say what it was. It didn't actually like link to anything. Yeah. I would just say, oh, I got this at Urban Outfitters or this Mm -hmm. is from H&M.
0: You still do that to an extent on your, on your Instagram. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it was like very early, like, you know, before I even knew what fashion blogging was. Mm -hmm. And then I got pegged as like a male fashion blogger. And then I really ran with that one. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So talk,
0: walk us through the timeline. So you, Installed Google Analytics. You saw yep. a thousand you were still at Teen yeah. Vogue at that point.
1: Um, you know, I think I had left, I ended up getting a job with um the very short line of my career trajectory, just to set it up, was I worked at Teen Vogue. I was there for about eight months, mm-hmm. and it was very much double wear's Prada. Really? I, yeah, like it just in the sense of and I say this not to, you know, things have changed completely, but I think in those years, it was definitely a use your underlings as yeah. much and as often as you can <laughs> for as little pay. Right. right. And even in, at that time, I knew like this wasn't for me, sure. but I didn't know how to get another job. Yeah. Ended up meeting a handbag designer who's no longer around, but mm-hmm. I started working for her doing design. Oh, cool. And then I worked at Valentino, Love, um, Shop And then I started working for Rebecca Minkoff. Oh, cool. And when I was at Rebecca, um, I was doing PR and stuff. And then Mm -hmm. social media kind of naturally came about. Yeah. Got hired by bluefly.com after that. Sure. And then um, at Barney's for like a very hot second. And then I went (laughs) to Amazon for Mm -hmm. a year and a half doing social media. Oh, cool. And that was four years ago that I quit that job to go into uh, my blog and social media full time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. But, um, so you actually spent,
0: you've at this point, you've spent more time doing the blog part time than full time. It sounds like, cause if, oh, yeah. if your blog's been around blog, for 12 years. Yeah.
1: I've had my blog for probably 11 years. Mm hmm. Four of those have been full-time. Mm-hmm. And at what point throughout that trajectory did you realize, okay, maybe I can actually turn this into a business? Probably a year and a half before I actually quit my job, okay. I was making more money mm-hmm. sometimes in a month than I would be in my whole year at my yeah. job. It was Jeez. crazy. Yeah. It was, I was so shocked that you could make money doing this. Yeah. That was, I, I re remember the, ex- the first thing I ever got paid for. I was working at Shopbop and I had met this girl at David German and she was just like, oh, I love your energy. I love your personality. Mm-hmm. Um, would you want to curate a little section of our holiday pieces and we'll put it up at the event and say, these are your picks. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Mm-hmm. That was something I like was so unfamiliar with. Sure, yeah. And then she's like, and um we'll pay you a hundred dollars to come to the event. I was like, wait, what? I was like, you're gonna pay me to come to something I would would sell my grandmother to the, the cartel to go to. I'm like, that's sorry, insane. grandma. Right? Sorry, Nana. Um yeah, it was insane. I just yeah. remember thinking, whoa, and at that time that was mm-hmm. oh, you're gonna pay me a hundred dollars? That's insane. Yeah, yeah. That's like five things of takeout. I love this. <laughs> Um, but I I really had no idea. I mean, when I, I was fumbling in the dark for the first couple of years, fig, trying to figure out what this would look like mm-hmm. because I had no mentor to kind of right, put yeah. me through this, we were all doing that. We were all hacking our way through like the mines, you know, because right. we didn't know what we were doing. Yeah, you were kind of pioneering a new industry, yeah. and you still are to an
0: extent because it's interesting. The uh, kind of, I, I would say that the female. Um, fashion world is very well defined. Absolutely. But for the men it still feels like there is a lot of runway. It's still being, you guys are still trying to figure out like how it fits in the grand scheme of everything, right? And 100%. Just, and, yeah. and part of that is simply the volume. There are just not as many male fashion bloggers as there are female fashion bloggers. So can you talk to us a little bit about the differences between the two, how they've evolved and where they're at
1: currently? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think because the The female market is so far more saturated than the male market. It tends to be that things move and progress a lot faster because there's a bigger demand. There are Mm -hmm. more people trying to get a piece of the pie with guys. I mean, I think we're just now in the last couple of years getting out of that, what I call the dreaded metrosexual phase (laughs) of fashion. (laughs) Like, (laughs) that was like the worst thing that could have happened to, you know, men's fashion was because so many guys eschewed any sort of Mm -hmm. style consciousness because they were like, oh, I don't want to be seen as (laughs) metrosexual. That's like one step away from being gay. So they were you know, and I was like, well, that's what I am. So like, whatever. (laughs) Didn't seem that bad, but I think that because there was such like a weird label with it, Mm -hmm. a lot of guys who would normally be conscious of their style or their fashion choices kind of said, oh, like that, I don't want to be seen as like the metrosexual. Oh, interesting. Okay. And I think that that's sort of changed in the last couple of years. I always say like, I judge things by my stepdad in Mississippi if okay. maybe a Christmas or two ago, he was like, oh, I was like, oh, what do you want for Christmas? And he said, oh, there was this really cool cable knit Ralph Lauren sweater. And I was like, wait, <laughs> what did you just say? Oh, did you say the word cable knit? How do you know that? Ralph Lauren? I'm like, wow, you didn't even say Ralph Lauren. So I was like, I know it's actually like, it's trickling down. It's trickling down. So um, I think that...
0: so wait that's the that is the officially termed the stepdad in memphis mm-hmm. litmus test yep, okay absolutely that's my nice. barometer that's for your like barometer? how things trickle down yeah <laughs>
1: um but i think with with men like now where it, things are changing i'm seeing in the last 2 years mm-hmm. the number of guys who are more comfortable putting themselves online in a style or fashion way Yeah, and that are being more conscious of their outfit choices of the things that they buy of the um, pieces that they invest in. Mm-hmm. You know, I have friends that are very basic dressers and always have been, but in the last probably year or two, they've started to buy a statement piece, a really nice sweater or yeah. a kind of crazy printed jacket or something. Right. So I feel like it's... um,
0: It's interesting because... Guys have always been conscious of how they dress, Absolutely. like you said, but they didn't want to be labeled a certain thing. But at the same time, how do you explain the frosted tips, the puka shell necklaces from our childhood, mm-hmm, right? Like mm-hmm. they were still caring about what they wore. It's just maybe they were just being a little less yeah. fastidious about, you know, Absolutely. how they, you know, thought about the, the concept of like a wardrobe. Absolutely. Yeah, that's fascinating. So in terms of where, you know, the, the men's market is today, what do yeah. you see happening over the next five years or so?
1: You know, it's it's hard to say. I think that for, I think we'll, we're, we're always, the men's fashion market is always a few steps behind the women. I think yeah. we eventually catch up, but they're still going to be a couple steps ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are going to be a lot more guys that are open to exploring their style online.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I mean, even I've always had a pretty uh, high percentage of male followers. Yeah. I think mine right now is like 80 20, which is really, yeah, pretty. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah, Wow. I've been told that's a, I'm one of the higher ratios, but for sure. um, I think that. What I notice, and I kind of base a lot of my trend forecasting on what my followers are doing or what they're liking of my stuff. Yeah. And I just see a lot of I, the influx of DMs about specific items, the influx of guys who are like, hey, like, you know, I have my prom coming up or my friend's wedding or whatever, and I got these shoes, you know, I really want to have a burgundy suit. I just feel like there's so much more conscious effort being put into style that even. 15 years ago wasn't there, mm-hmm. that people are actually caring about and realizing that your style is absolutely an extension of your personality. And I think that whole of like, well, it doesn't matter what I look like on the outside. It's like what I'm bringing to the table. And I was like, yeah, but you don't have to dress the part because you're just playing the role of yourself. But right. I think at the end of the day, like people are realizing that it's just as important as the smile on your face yeah, or you know you're the kind of message in your heart. yeah yeah
0: you're absolutely sending a message right if you dress sloppy people are going to think you don't care about 100% you know whatever
1: it is that they're engaged with you on and we're in an era where Everything is shared online. Right. And even if you're not sharing it, you're being a part of things shared online. Sure. And these things live on forever. Like, you don't Mm want to look your worst when someone's filming something at a birthday party or at the office. Like, you want to be able to be like, you know, oh yeah, Mm -hmm. there's that stylish guy in the back. You're like, that was me. (laughs) (laughs) Be that stylish guy in the back. Be the guy in the back.
0: So circling back a little bit, though, you, you came to New York on a whim, not on a yep. whim, and this was a plan, clearly, you wanted to fulfill some of your life dreams and goals, but you most likely didn't really know anybody here. Is that accurate? No, I didn't. Yeah. So, uh, and one of the things we've talked about on previous podcasts with Blair Eady is that you've got to find people who can you can lean on for support, right? That Absolutely. you can help, because you're not going to an office every day where you've got 35 colleagues working with you yeah. on the same projects, right? This can be a very lonely endeavor, but mm-hmm. you've done a great job of building up this wonderful group of friends can you talk to us a little bit about that not only how you did it but also how they've affected your career your creativity and the projects you take on um
1: i mean i'll start by saying that i i've always been a big believer in the idea of community and you know I, i i've always loved that phrase like find your tribe because i feel like in in that definition for me personally it's we all bring certain skills to the table and we're not all going to be the best at everything and that's totally fine. Mm -hmm. You can be good at a lot of stuff, but you can be great at a few things. Mm -hmm. And those few things that I can bring to the table maybe can help somebody where that's not their strength. So I feel like over the years, I've tried to cultivate a sense of yin and yang with the people that I meet because I'm like, hey, like, how can I help you be better? Mm -hmm. Because... I know there are ways that you can help me be better. So I think over the years, finding people that are in my industry that have certain skills that I definitely don't have and probably won't ever possess Mm -hmm. has been a really nice way to really balance out my creativity, my inspiration. Yeah. But in the beginning, just going to a lot of events, meeting people and just having a personal connection with people, Mm -hmm. I think has been really nice that you meet people just like you would meet any friend. You know, you say, hey, like we've got a lot in common outside of this weird blog work, social media thing that we have in common. Mm -hmm. But that it's been for me just cultivating that sense of community has been integral in my success, absolutely 100%. Can
0: you give us some concrete examples, perhaps, of like specific either projects or things that you've done that have been a direct result of brainstorming late night drinking sessions? Like, you know, like just being around creative people. No, 100%. I mean, like, they're.
1: I admittedly love late nights and I yeah. love alcohol. You've said, yeah, no, I, do, I brought that up
0: specifically because you've said that before. I
1: do love to drink. And I always feel like, you know, in the best possible way, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like drinking and going and grabbing margaritas with friends, you loosen up a little bit, you're sure. laughing, you're talking. And even if you don't go with the soul, purpose of brainstorming something right i almost always walk away thinking man that would make such a cool content piece right. or mm-hmm. maybe we're talking about my friend's recent trip to tulum he's like oh this i went to this most amazing taco shop i'm like hold on i'm about to do a roundup of taco shops and Tulum." you know <laughs> like things happen that right. you brainstorm right. i mean there are times when i've been with friends who brought other friends that I didn't quite know. We're right. all sitting around a table. We're drinking. We're having great time. Mm-hmm. People realize that I'm not just like uh, you know a face on a screen. That not there's, just a, a, there's a, like a big a dumb personality. Behind yeah, right. it. yeah, I'm not yeah, just yeah. like a dumb, vapid blogger. Right. <laughs> there's like a personality and there's some right. some intelligence there. <laughs> not quite when I'm modest. drinking, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, a couple of margaritas that really changes, but. Um, <laughs> There's been multiple times that I've had that friend of a friend reach out to me later and say, hey, my boyfriend, my cousin, my old colleague works on this account at this PR firm or they rep this brand or they are this brand, Mm -hmm. would love to connect you you guys. And all of a sudden I've booked a campaign just because I was got margaritas on three a Friday margaritas night. deep. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, hello. Key to success, yeah, exactly. Margaritas with friends, margaritas, yeah. Just, just bill it reversed. as a business
0: expense. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, tequila. <laughs> Call it brainstorming, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, it's it brings up an interesting point. Um, you know, getting back to this idea of community our lives are now online, right? Most of the commerce that you do, most of the business that you do is online, right? Absolutely. Whether it's promoting something, creating content, whatever it is. But how important is that in-person connectivity, that in-person kind of community building and networking?
1: Do you mean in terms of the community that follows me or the community that pays me? <laughs> well, both. Talk about it in both um, pers- from both perspectives. It's. It, I always say it's like a cycle, Um the biggest misconception that most people have about social media influencers, you know, bloggers, whatever you want to call us creators, is that you know we just take pretty pictures and sit around all day and that's it. That it's right. like the easiest life ever. Yeah, it is. Could not be farther from the truth. Right. It's so important that we stay relevant because that's the biggest part of what brands look for. That's your currency. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, you know, so we're going to events. All day, all night, we're showing our face. We are um, taking meetings, taking appointments because the more that we put our face in front of a brand, in front of a PR person, in front of a marketer, the more top of mind that we are. Yeah. And the friendlier that you are, the, the more that you show that you could be an asset or a good, you could have a good working relationship with somebody, yeah. they'll, they'll immediately think of you. Yeah. And it goes also back to the community of followers that follow me. I mean, it's so important that the people who built me up who find either that they could be me or that I could have been their friend in high school or their next-door neighbor, whatever it is, whatever their reason is for following me, Mm -hmm. um, that these people are still finding satisfaction in what I'm doing. So I, I always want to make sure that I'm polling my audience, I'm responding to DMs. If I do a meetup somewhere, I want to have enough time to talk to everybody. I was on a panel last night and ended up having to scoot out probably 10 minutes after it ended, but I tried to make sure that the four or five people who were standing there that I could tell wanted to say something or talk right. with me, mm-hmm. that it each got at least a couple of minutes because the reason that I'm even able to be on a panel, that I'm able to work with some of the most amazing brands is because these people you know, sought after me or, or mm-hmm. continue to follow me because they believe in me and I want to make sure that I do them proud.
0: Right, absolutely and it's interesting to think about it in both ways you know on the on the brand side when you're trying to build those relationships you're absolutely right. If you have a personal connection with someone there like the David Uerman woman back mm-hmm. in the day right when she first paid you like she liked your vibe yeah. I and mean, that's all it took and so when, when somebody likes your vibe or they like you or they like your aesthetic and they've met you when a campaign comes up they'll want to work with you. And the same goes for like how easy you make it for them as well during the 100%. process. If you make it easy, you deliver on time and you, you go over and above kind of the creative direction or the, uh, the brief that you were provided, they'll come back because they know that what they'll get. And on the other side, if followers know that you respond or that you're, you know, not you can't respond to everything because hey, yep, you get of thousands of DMs every day, but if you're responsive to what they're asking for, right, whether it's a poll, whether it's a DM, whether it's an in-person question... 100%. In, they're much more likely to get attached, uh, and it's, it's really, really valuable. You know, funny, I
1: always, I have this example that I say not to toot my horn or anything, but just to no, go ahead, show toot a difference. It, that's why you're here. We
0: <laughs> we invited you on to toot I, your own horn.
1: <laughs> I remember there was like a couple of months um, that I kept getting all these messages back from brands or from you know my manager or um, you know someone involved in a project that I was doing where they would write me and say, I just wanted to let you know how kind you were, how nice you were. It was such a pleasure. And I'm like, you went out of your way to tell me how nice I was? That means that there is some big problems in right. the industry. I was mm-hmm. like, whoa. Yeah. That someone that didn't even have my contact information right. sought out my contact information just to let me know that I was right. nice. Yeah, And that shocks me still because the whole point of what... We are doing as creators mm-hmm. is that we're getting a chance and a platform to amplify what makes us special, mm-hmm. and the things that make us special don't make us better than anyone else. No, and I feel like that's where the imbalance happens, is right. because some people sort of get a um, godlike complex, and right, I think that their shit doesn't stink. Oh, can I say that?
0: Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. They
1: think that their shit doesn't stink yeah. when, in actuality, they're Turning on the very people that right. made them who they are, yeah, and so, who are
0: looking to them for advice. Absolutely,
1: and, whatnot. and yeah. when you when you put yourself on a pedestal, you immediately distance yourself from being approachable, and that's what we are—is approachable right. people. You know, I don't want to say public figures because that's like such a weird connotation, but the fact that we have an audience of people that raised us up as a voice for them right whether that's a voice on politics or fashion or whatever it may be right that you're being raised on a platform held up by the people right. who trust you.
0: Right. I think that's so fascinating and one of the things that I really influencers get a bad rap and, Absolutely. and in some cases rightfully so right when you mm-hmm. have people who abuse the platform that they've created but one of the things that I love about this industry is that it, it gives a voice to the masses in a very different way than it has previously because the reason people follow you is because they identify with you in some way shape or form right. Mm-hmm. Each person is unique and so it'll take 20 or 30 influencers to kind of complete who I am as a person, right? So I follow everybody for a different reason, right? So you and I will never be a one-to-one match, but I identify with something about you, whether it's the way you dress, the way you kind of approach life, whether it's the concerts you go to. Um, And that's very different than kind of the 1950s mad men like advertising, right? Like where one person or a couple people in a room deciding what the messaging is going to be. Now brands are handing you their product and saying, Tell your followers because you know them best. And and that's such a beautiful thing. A hundred percent. Because now you're the voice uh, for, you know, this company to people who follow you and identify with you, mm-hmm. which I think is so, so powerful because not only does it increase like the creativity, but it also increase the ability of the masses to see a product in a different light.
1: A hundred percent. I mean, I just was on a panel last night and we were talking about the future of influencer marketing and what people think will happen in the next five years. And I was saying that one of the best things is brands are realizing that having not only us as a stream of marketing, which that it feels so robotic, but that using us as brand ambassadors, really identifying the influencers or the creators that resonate really well with your brand that really do love your brand. Right and then coming back and saying how can i have you on for a year you have such a loyal following yeah. clearly your following probably likes our brand too because they follow you and you guys right. have similar interests but bringing someone on and really putting money behind them not just the campaign right and mm-hmm. i think that's that's i've had that happen you know a couple of times in the last year and it has been such a confidence booster that a brand valued me enough to put value in our relationship. And trust you too. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: And so it's interesting. We've talked a lot about a community and we've talked about one of the things that you mentioned earlier that really resonated with me was staying relevant. Mm -hmm. But it's not just about staying relevant. Something that you've talked about a lot is building a legacy, right? Which I think has a very different meaning than just building a sustainable business, right? You want to talk to me a little bit about creating a legacy and what that means to you and how you think about it.
1: Well, I mean, just like in anything that you do in life, you want to leave it better than you found it. Mm-hmm. And I've always said that if this all happened by chance. You know, I, I love who I am and I know that I'm very much a type A personality talker. Mm-hmm. I always had big plans for myself. They just didn't look like this originally, but sure. I'm so happy that this is how it is now. Right. But I think that for anybody in this arena, it's using this as a stepping stone and a platform to whatever's really in your heart. And I just want to make sure, like, for me personally, I just, I don't want this to end one day and people would be like, oh, that was that was cool, end of story. Right. I want to be like, wow, like, you know, Justin really changed the face of X, Y, and Z. And mm-hmm. I think it's for anyone that has a platform right now, whether this lasts a year or 10 more years, you want to make sure that you're adding value to the things that your followers are following you for. Like if you're not doing that, you won't ha- leave a legacy because there's not going to be in 10 years someone's like, man, I used to love this person. Right. right. Not that, wait, who? Yeah, you know, it's like right. the difference between like mm-hmm. leaving a lasting impression on somebody. And yes, fashion can be a very vapid and ever-changing landscape. But mm-hmm. I think- it's so much more than that when you view it as an extension of your personality, when you're showing off things about yourself beyond just the physical clothes that you're wearing. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've been trying to do is just show people that it's not about the clothing necessarily, but the confidence that you feel, the way that you um, present yourself when you feel your best. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that... um, for me personally i can't speak to everyone because i think everyone has different goals and values in mind you know for what sure. they're doing of but course, yeah. i think for me the idea of leaving a legacy is just leaving this place this platform better than you found it mm-hmm.
0: and what are the things that you want people to think about when they think about justin you know in the context of that legacy so when yeah. i pull up your instagram when someone mentions you in conversation when your name comes across in an article i'm reading what is it what is the image you want me to conjure in my mind as a as a reader or a consumer
1: i think the thing that i love about most about myself is i'm a really kind person and i put others first a lot and mm-hmm. sometimes to the detriment of myself because i yeah. would much rather have someone else feel good about themselves for a specific something rather mm-hmm. than myself. Like, And I th- think that that would be the thing that I would, would hope most people would say about me that mm-hmm. when people meet me or when I'm around people or I work with a brand or a follower meets me that the biggest compliment would be, wow, you were even nicer than I imagined. Yeah, You were kinder than I even hoped for. Yeah,
0: so that's a really interesting one to, to hone in on because that's hard to convey to hundreds of thousands of people who only follow you through the internet, yeah. right? That's something that's really done super effectively and easy to recognize in person. So how does that come across in
1: your day-to-day social media, your day-to-day blog posts, what you communicate to over the internet? Yeah, basically? I mean, I think, you know, the word authenticity is thrown around so much that it's actually like losing its definition right? A bit. Yeah, bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's become such a cop-out word. But I would say to piggyback off that word mm-hmm. is that the trust that I have with my followers mm-hmm. is the most important thing. Yeah. I say no to so many offers and Mm -hmm. campaign requests because I'm like, this wouldn't make sense. Yeah. I try to put myself in my followers' shoes. And for me, like honing in on the trust that I have with them and letting them know that as a person, not as Justin, this influencer, but Justin as the human being that if you were sitting next to him on the train and started chatting, this Mm -hmm. would be the same person online and offline. Right, right. That Mm -hmm. I think. Showing off my personality and the honesty that I have with what I do, Mm -hmm. whether it's on Instagram stories or responding to people and letting people know that, like, no question's a dumb question. I'm always here to help. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just rounding out the personality of it all online with the extras like Instagram stories or with video replies Mm -hmm. and with YouTube. You know, those are the kind of things that people get a better glimpse into your personality and it's not so. You know, 2D with when it comes to Instagram, right. like with a photo. But mm-hmm. I think just being as kind as I can and patient with everybody goes a long way yeah 100 percent.
0: and do you think that kind of the temporary nature of the platforms that we're on right because they come in and out of cycles right so absolutely every everyone has its moment r.i.p vine
1: yeah right <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly um do you think uh that that affects your ability to build a legacy or do you just have to take a different tactic
1: no i mean i've had i my very first blog was on a um Tumblr okay, and I mean I have people that still message me and say oh, I've been following you since Tumblr I'm like, <laughs> whoa that's so crazy right. so I think it's just as long as you're cultivating and fostering the community of people that follow you no matter what platform that's on mm-hmm. and like you said I mean these are platforms that expire can expire at any moment right? Mm-hmm. and the value in the following isn't the number but it's the f- community spirit that you have with them, right. the fervency that, yeah. of, with which they follow if, you. Yeah, if a platform starts to die, all you have to, you find a new place t- to speak to your community. It's right. it's not about the actual app. It's not about the actual technology. It's the housing piece for your community, they, right? No, you know, no matter the, what it is, if it's right. the blog, if it's whatever, they'll migrate with you, right? They just want to keep hearing from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. So what advice
0: would you have for one, men looking to get into the fashion uh, blogging industry mm-hmm. right now? And two people looking to build their own legacy?
1: I think it's knowing that if you're going in attempting to be an influencer that you want to Fame or money, or whatever it is that you see is in the influencer space that 's definitely the wrong motive. Mm-hmm. I think it's important that you find what it is you 're passionate about and let that be your driving force rather than fame or money because very likely fame or money probably won't happen
0: it 's almost like you should choose something yeah. that you're okay doing if nobody
1: ever a thousand picks up. percent yeah the one thing that anyone who is Mildly or highly successful in the influencer space right now is because not a single one of them, sans maybe five people mm-hmm. ever, yeah, went into it wanting money or fame or hoping anything would happen, right? They did it because they Passionately loved what they were doing, right? And that came across to people, yeah. And then from there, it you know you can start working with brands because they see that you're passionate about that topic. Right. And it wasn't about money; it wasn't about being. They'd be famous. doing it if they had five or yeah. ten followers. Exactly. much less five thousand, exactly. five hundred
0: thousand. Yeah,
1: I would say for anyone looking to break into the men's fashion space or just the men's influencer space, it's just really defining your voice. I think that there's a lot of noise out there and while yes, all of us have many, many, many interests that we could easily talk about, it's like finding the one thing that really makes you happy and floats your boat Mm -hmm. and that kind of fervor behind a topic will be easily identifiable for people who want to follow you and i think it's easy to spot like you know if you talk to a friend who loves music or loves fashion or loves food and they love it so much you love talking to them about it because you see how much they love it yeah. and it makes you excited about it right yeah so i've always say that's the equate like that's the balance of when you want to break into it it's finding the topic that you love the most that you could talk about ad infinitum And Mm -hmm. you probably will be able to because people will listen because it's something that you probably know a lot about. Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think for anyone looking to leave a legacy, I think it's just important to, a legacy is more than just a product that you leave behind. It's the feeling, it's the spirit of what you're doing. And whether that is a, a, you start your own clothing line or you now um, have a line of soups or you know, mm-hmm. whatever it is, whatever yeah. your passion is or whatever the end goal for you, yeah. The next step in this like stepping stone. Mm-hmm. I think it's that once you leave one stone to move to the next one, that the stone you left behind still has your spirit there. There's yeah. still energy and no one's gonna look at that and be like, that was a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That they look at it and say, Wow, like that was such a cool piece of time on your timeline like mm-hmm. you know this was such an interesting part of your timeline yeah. people can look at that and say I know exactly who Justin was in yeah. 2009, 2010 I know exactly yeah. who Justin was in 2016 Sure. and I think it's just like leaving the spirit of who you are you know even if you do change you know we're all going to be different people but I think mm-hmm. using your platform as a space to leave part of yourself behind and people will always be allowed to identify that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Justin, thanks so much for joining us today on Influencer Business. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you again to Justin for joining us today on Influencer Business. Awesome conversation. Really wonderful person. If you don't already follow him, highly recommend it. Head over to Instagram. His handle is JustinLiv. That's J-U-S-T-I-N-L-I-V or to his blog, which is scout16.com. Very much worth the follow, the exact same person online as he is offline, and really, really refreshing. I I just really quickly wanna unpack two or three things that he talked about that I think are particularly important for anybody building really any business, but particularly online. So first and foremost, we get hung up on these numbers, but one of the things that Justin said, which I think is exactly right, is that the value in your following is not in the number, it's the fervency with which you connect with them. So it's not about the number of followers you have, but it's about the community that you build. It's about the interactions that you have with them and their devotion to you and the platform that you've built. Because somebody having a million followers who just kind of follow them casually, but don't actually engage with them and aren't really, really paying attention to what they're doing and and interacting with them in a really organic way, won't have the same impact as somebody with a thousand followers where every single one of those followers is holding on to what they say, every last word that they say. So think about that as you're building your audience. Everybody's looking around. There's always somebody bigger than us. We're always thinking, oh, I have to build a bigger audience. No, you have to build a more engaged audience. I think that's something that Justin hit on that is absolutely true. The second thing is we're building these businesses online. Everything is done online. We can do it from our computers. We can do it from our phone. But I think Justin really effectively illustrated how networking and face-to-face and in-person interaction is so important. And it's not just about trying to build a business. It's not just about trying to network because you want more campaigns. It's also about where you get your creativity, finding those people who bring it out of you. You know, Justin said that you can do a lot of things well, but you can only do a few things exceptionally well and then find people around you who can help fill in the gaps. I think that's incredibly important. So whether it's late night drinking sessions like we talked about with Justin where he gets his creative inspiration, or it's coffee with somebody and just bouncing ideas off of them, or it is meeting with a brand. I think this is incredibly important as we move more and more online to have these moments, to have these opportunities to connect with people, because they really will enhance your business, your creativity, and just sometimes even just your outlook on life. And then the final thing that I want to highlight it's just it goes to Justin's whole story. He talked about not having a big enough pond, not being stimulated enough where he was, and so he went to find a bigger pond and in his case, the biggest pond. You know he wasn't bashful about looking for opportunity, and I think that's something that all of us have to do and it's it's actually interesting. This ties back to something that we talked about with Cat Cole uh, when she joined us on the podcast. She talked about it in terms of leadership. You don't have to be the CEO. Of a company to find leadership opportunities. You can find leadership opportunities in your day to day. And this is not too dissimilar from the point Justin has made kind of with his own journey. Yes, he moved to New York, it doesn't always have to be that drastic. But look around you for opportunities that you can take advantage of whether it's creative opportunities, writing opportunities, you know, math, science, whatever it is that you're interested in, politics, look for opportunities that you can take advantage of to to build out your portfolio, build out your platform, or even just build out who you are as a person. And don't be bashful about going after them and getting them. So really great point from Justin. And overall, just an amazing conversation. As always, you can find this conversation and everything else that we've ever done on Trove at our website. It's www.trovebusiness.com. So make sure you head over there. We have everything you need to run your business more effectively. And a big shout out to Pete Krimi, who always makes us sound better over the podcast than we do in person. And one more quick plug from us here at Trove. If you haven't already, please leave us that five-star rating. Give us that glowing review. We really appreciate it. It helps us grow and it would mean a lot to us. So... Thanks again for joining me today on this episode of Influencer Business. I'm your host, Rich Scudillari, and we'll see you next time.